0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here this Easter. And uh, my name is Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And uh, I, I don't know about you, like. I love Easter. Like, I love Easter. I guess I should. I'm a pastor. I think it maybe it's in the job description. I should love Easter. But I I do. I really love Easter. The Easter worship services is kind of funny because, it, like, everybody comes to this, but it's not like you don't know what I'm going to talk about, right? Like, I mean, it's like no surprise. We're, we're talking about the resurrection. Like, you know, but... Anyways, I, I love Easter. I, I love Easter for for believers. It's, it's such a great uh, time to gather together to worship our God in light of what Jesus has done for us through the cross and through His resurrection. It's a great time to be reminded of what we believe and why we believe it. And I hope you're encouraged in that in that way. I think it's a great morning. It's a great day because if you if you're not a Christian and perhaps you've been thinking about it and exploring it, and, and it, I think Easter, just to be bold, like I think Easter is is a perfect time. It's it's a it's perhaps the best time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I would, I'm going to let you know, at the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I just would encourage you, like, today's a great day. Place your faith in Christ. And if you are, uh, you know, more on the skeptic side, Perhaps you got both feet on the brakes when it comes to becoming a Christian or believing in Jesus and all of that stuff. I, I think it's a great morning for you to be here as well. And I know that you, you might just be here because someone promised you lunch afterwards or your mom made you come or you're just really nice. Like someone invited you and you just are too nice to say no. And so you're like, I'll put up with this for a couple hours. You know, we just thanks for being so nice. But uh I think it's a great morning for you to be here as well because Easter morning is interesting. It, Easter morning, if you will, kind of does, it kind of does this like run, like end run around all of our common questions and objections. Like you might have many questions and objections that are keeping you from believing in Jesus, and like they're, I'm sure they're great objections and they're they're great questions. But Easter does this kind of like in run around all of those things, and like to the point that I would ask that you would even today, like with an open mind, just consider, consider possibly becoming a Christian, even despite you knowing some Christians, like even despite maybe having some. People in your life that are Christians, you would still think about maybe even becoming a Christian today. Even even despite, even despite, uh, you know that freshman class and college where your professor raised all those questions, you don't know how to answer, you still don't know how to answer today. Even despite that, even even despite perhaps having uh, a number of times in your life where you had unanswered prayer, and, and you've gone through trial and pain and hard circumstances, and it's left you asking big questions, good questions, like, "Man, if God is good, then what?" Like. Even despite that, even despite all your questions, I would say just consider being, uh, becoming a Christian, placing your trust in Jesus Christ today, just, just consider it because of, the, of Easter. And not because today is Easter, that doesn't really matter, but just because there's such a thing as Easter, Because And like that's a wild deal. I'm going to talk about that today. But this is the good news on Easter. The good news is that the foundation of the Christian faith isn't the behavior of Christians. Not that that shouldn't matter. It should matter. But it's not the foundation of Christian faith. And the foundation of Christian faith, it, it isn't even answered prayer. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't having all of your questions answered. The foundation, friends... Of the Christian faith is what we celebrate on Easter morning. The foundation of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I said, this kind of does this in run around all of those other things. And those are good and important things, but it kind of kind of runs around that because if what happened on Easter, like what we're celebrating today, if this really happened, well, then you can become a Christian. You can trust in Jesus and and deal with all of that other stuff afterwards. Because if this really happened, then like that's incredible. And what it means for you is incredible. However, I know that it's really hard to believe. Even for Christians, Christians at times question their faith and question, like, "Is is what I believe in? Is this really true?" Like, is, you know, because it's hard to believe, and if you're skeptical, of course, like, it's hard to believe. Like, what we're celebrating this morning—it's it's hard to believe that someone died and rose again. That's that's crazy, right? Like, yeah, that's hard to believe. But friends, what we're going to look at this morning is that there's this this really wild deal. But like, I think that. What we're looking at this morning shows us that even though the idea of someone dying and rising in is really hard to believe, in light of Easter, it actually makes it hard not to believe it. Now that's a kind of a crazy statement, so like, we're going to unpack that this morning, and we're going to begin by in the book of John, verse 20. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to John 20. If you don't have a Bible, or if you just would rather follow along on the slides on the screen, uh, the, the words will be up there, and so you can do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to begin looking at how the very first followers of Jesus in the first century, how Jesus' closest followers responded to the resurrection. And what might be very intriguing to you is that the way that they responded is perhaps just like many of the way that many of, if not all of us, initially responded to the news of the resurrection. They responded thinking that, oh man, it's really hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, look, look at this in uh, verse 20, ver- or chapter 20, verse 1 of John. We see this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' most famous female followers. And like those who had followed Jesus for quite some time, Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She trusted Jesus. She had all these thoughts about Jesus. She she thought that Jesus was the wisest person she'd ever met. She thought that Jesus was a miracle worker. She thought that Jesus was from God. She thought at least Jesus must be a prophet, if not more. She She thought that Jesus displayed a compassion and love that was completely unknown to the Roman world. She thought that Jesus was this incredible model, this incredible example. She thought all of these things, but on the day of Easter, the very first Easter, She thought that Jesus was dead. Like we know from the book of Luke, the reason that Mary Magdalene was there that Easter morning, and it wasn't just her, it was a group of other women, they had come to prepare Jesus' body, to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So they showed up on the day that Jesus rose again, and they showed up thinking he was going to still be dead and be dead forever. (laughs) They were preparing his body for burial. Now, just to review a little bit of what happened before this scene and the scene that you saw in the little clip here is that like three days before this, Jesus had been handed over to the authorities. And on that Thursday, he was, you know, handed over, betrayed by a kiss. And then he was tried. And then on Friday, he was crucified. And on the Roman cross, Jesus died. And then... Two guys, a guy named Nicodemus and a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, got Jesus' body. They got possession of Jesus' body, permission to go bury Jesus. And so they, perhaps with a couple of their servants, prepared Jesus' body for burial quickly because the sun was safe, Sabbath was coming, it was the middle of Passover, so they had to be kind of rushed about it. And so they prepared Jesus' body, they took him to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and they laid Jesus in the tomb, and they rolled the stone in front of it, and They walked away, perhaps, like, sadder than they've ever been. And then, after that, Sabbath, the next day, Mary shows up. She shows up with this group of women, and they were there to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Now, it's kind of interesting, because Joseph and Nicodemus had already prepared Jesus' body for burial, right? Right? But they show up to do that again, and I think, okay, why, why would they have shown up to do that again? And I think they knew it was two men that quickly prepared Jesus' body for burial. And they're like, they did not do a good job. I just know it. And they, they loved Jesus, and they're like, I just, can't, I just can't stand the thought of those two guys and the shoddy job that they did with Jesus' body. And so they show up to re-prepare his body for burial. Again, though, they're there because they think he's dead, and he's going to stay dead. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and it's like, how much love is displayed that these women would come and do this for Jesus, right? Like, who would you do that for? Jesus had been dead now for two nights and a day, right? Killed on Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. And they're like, okay, like, who are you going to go pull out of a grave and re-prepare their body for burial? Like, who who would you do that for? Like, maybe your kids? Maybe? Maybe your grandkids? Maybe your wife or husband? I was. I asked myself this question this week. I'm like, would I do this for Krista? And I like, I love Krista. I love Krista. But if I had just this idea that perhaps that they didn't do a great job preparing her body for burial, am am I going to really be like, no, we got to pull that up, and I'm just going to redo it? And like, I love you, babe. But I think I'm just going to let you lie. You know. So, but like Mary Magdalene, like she and these other women, like they just loved Jesus so so much, like so much. But again, they thought he was dead. And he was going to stay dead. Well, when verse 2 says this. So she came, uh, having seen that the tomb was empty, Says so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, which is, just real quick, it's so funny. Like, this is written by the, the, you see John, like this is, the one that Jesus loved is John. Like, John wrote this. And so every time he refers to himself in the book of John, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And I just think the other disciples just must have really appreciated that. Like, it's Peter and the one that Jesus loved, right? And it's like, come on. But anyways, whatever ego issue going on there. But the one that Jesus loved, so so, so Mary Magdalene comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, two very interesting things here. First, just that kind of is blaring, is that you see Mary Magdalene, and also later in Luke, you'll see the other women. Like, their message isn't, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. It's, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. No, her message, having seen the tomb empty, she runs to the disciples and she says, stole stolen the body. Because she still thinks Jesus is dead. Because you know what? Dead people stay dead. This is a rational thought. And so she's thinking someone has stolen the body. That's her message. Now what's also interesting from this passage is that you see that she comes running to the disciples. The reason she had to come running to the disciples is because the disciples were not where she was. And where was she? She had been at the tomb. But the disciples weren't at the tomb. They were actually hiding in some kind of room all huddled together. And she had to come run to them with this news because they were hiding out. And the reason they were hiding out, friends, is because they were scared to death. And the reason they were hiding out is because the person that they loved and followed was dead. And they thought, man, these Roman authorities and, and the religious leaders with the backing of these Roman authorities that just killed our, you know, to us, their, their Messiah, they just killed their leader and they are their closest fathers. So they think, man, you know what? They could come after us next. Like, we're on the hit list. Like, if we're, if they're gonna try to wipe this out altogether, we're like next in line. And so we gotta hide him because we don't know what to do, and everything is just messed up, and uh, and he's dead, and now we could be dead too. So let's—we're not gonna go hang out at the tomb. What good would that do us? No, we gotta hide out. We gotta figure out a plan. We gotta figure out what to do next and where to go, and like what, what's going on? So they're hiding out because they're scared, and they're confused, they're bewildered, they're they're upset, and they're cowards in some extent. They're, they're hiding out. And so she comes running to them. And in the book of Luke, Luke also paints a picture of this, this whole interaction. And Luke, as the guy, the guy who wrote Luke, I just love the book of Luke because Luke is the type of guy that I wish I was like, if, I just wish that if we could go back to the time of this, Jesus' death and resurrection, and just find somebody who's not a disciple, you know, but, but like a, a, a doctor, you know, someone who real rational thinking, who could like investigate every this everybody while this is fresh on their mind, and and interview everybody, and get all the eyewitness reports, and like put that together for me. That's the kind of thing I want to write. Well, I guess that's who Luke is. Luke's a doctor, rational thought, and he he said, "I'm the reason I'm writing my gospel is so that I can put an orderly and accurate account of everything that happened." So he interviewed everybody, and he lays it out. And what he says about this event is this in in Luke chapter. 24 It says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And look how they, the apostles, and the disciples, look how they respond. Luke 24, verse 11. But they, the apostles, the disciples, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like nonsense. And of course, their words sounded like nonsense. The tomb is empty? Like, that's nonsense, right? I mean, that's, that's a normal way to respond to this news. And I personally, I find this so helpful. Because this, this, to me, gives me confidence. Like, the, the, they didn't just believe that Jesus rose from the dead out of some kind of weird superstitious kind of ideas. Or, or like, yeah, like, we're into, like, dead people rising. And like, that's normal news. And so, like, Jesus rose from the dead. Of course he did. Like, that's not how they respond. They, they respond like we would respond. Like, perhaps many of you currently respond to the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. They they said, hey, like, that's, what are you talking about? That's, that's nonsense. Like, what do you mean the tomb is empty? They certainly didn't quickly go to the idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. But guys, this is interesting. Like, these are Jesus' closest followers. Jesus' disciples. The guys that spent so much time with Jesus. The guys that Jesus had looked eye to eye and said, Matthew, I want you to follow me. John, I want you to follow me. And they had left everything and they had followed Jesus. These were the guys who heard in real time, like heard live this, the parable of, this, of the prodigal son or the good Samaritan, like those incredible stories. Like they were there when they were first were told, like the feeding of 5,000, they were a part of that. Like this is the guys that heard Jesus say repeatedly prior to his, resur- prior to his death and his resurrection, they heard Jesus say things like, hey, I'm gonna be handed over to the authorities. And they're going to have me killed, and three days later, or on the third day, I'm going to rise again. They heard him say that multiple times, and yet they're also the guys that, when they hear that the tomb is empty on the third day, they're like, that's nonsense. Nonsense. Of course it's nonsense. People don't rise from the dead. Of course they responded that way, right? Isn't that how often we... We, like, at least initially for all of us, we probably responded that way. Many, many of you, understandably, still respond that way. It's, it's, not, it's nonsense. But we're told this that Peter, verse 12, however, got up and he ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away shouting, He's alive! He's alive! That's not what it says. I made, I made that last part up. That's what you would think it would say, right? I mean, that's like, that would make sense. That makes for a good story. But that's not what it says. Here's what it really says. Peter, however, got up and ran the tomb, bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by himself, And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Like like scratching his head and like, what's happened here? And like this is Peter. Like Peter, like the dude, Peter, right? And like closest Jesus follower. And, and he's like, Man, like, the tomb's empty, and I'm just like, what in the world? Like, what's going on? What's happened? That's interesting, isn't it? A couple of things I want to just point out. And say this is hard to believe. It's hard to believe for the first followers. In fact, we see it in the fact that nobody was there counting down from 10, waiting for the stone to roll away from the tomb. Like when this, in this account, you see, nobody was hanging out. None of Jesus' closest followers were hanging out outside the tomb, counting down from ten. Ten, nine, the sun's peeking up over the mountains. and, and they're, you know, that, That's not how it went down. Why? Because they thought that when Jesus died, he was going to stay dead. They thought that when Jesus died, he was going to stay dead. Now, what's really really interesting and what I would just encourage you friends to to really consider to really give a lot of consideration to is that and I'm going to kind of like you don't have to try to follow me here but in my mind this makes perfect sense so try to follow me but the fact that this was so hard for his believers his followers to believe and that they actually documented that it was so hard for them to believe, actually, to me, makes this hard not to believe. See, because this was so hard for his followers, closest followers, to believe, and they actually documented that, I think it actually makes it hard not to believe. And here's why I say that. It's because... The common idea, one of the most prominent explanations of why we celebrate Easter, if you're coming from a view that doesn't believe Jesus rose again. One of the common explanations is that Jesus' closest followers stole the body and they made up a lie. Or they didn't steal the body, the body was stolen by someone else, and so then the followers just made up a lie to explain it. That's a really common explanation. But friends, if you're going to make up a lie, in order to keep... The memory of Jesus, this great teacher, this great person, this compassionate, loving, good example for us, if you're going to lie to keep that memory and his message, his incredible teachings and all that stuff, if you're going to come up with a lie to keep his memory and his message alive, you don't fabricate a story that makes you look like a complete idiot and a complete, complete coward and someone who lacks any kind of faith. You don't come up with that kind of lie and the reason you don't come up with that kind of lie it's because since Jesus is dead, it's on you to keep the message out. Which makes you front and center in everybody's mind. And so you're asking people to follow you to buy into who Jesus was and what his message was. They're having to listen to you and follow you and get this movement going. But who's following the guys that are saying, oh man, like I wasn't like I wasn't outside his tomb? No, no, I was hiding. I was thinking that we were gonna die too. I, I didn't like yeah, Jesus said he was gonna rise again, but I didn't believe him, right? Oh yeah, like Jesus got arrested. And when he got arrested, we all ran. Like in our leader's deepest time of need we got out of there or like peter they talks about peter on the night that jesus is being tried jesus comes to kind of check it out and he's kind of hanging out in the shadows and like a middle school aged girl comes up to him and says hey you're one of jesus's followers and he's like well, i don't know what you're talking about i don't know that jesus and he tell you say oh man you don't tell that story what story do you tell you say oh man yeah everybody abandoned him but not us Right? Yeah, everybody just fleed, but we stayed right next to him. And even though it meant that we might be crucified, we were ready for that because he's our savior, right? And and so we knew that if he's going to rise again, and we thought that even if we died, he might rise us again. So our faith was strong. And when he got crucified, we just camped out. We didn't even go home. We just plop, popped up the tents outside the tomb. And then we got we hired a choir and a band. And whenever the sun was coming up, we were counting down. The choir was singing. It was incredible jesus walked down and he's high-fiving us and we're like let's take the world like that's the story you come up with that's the story you come up with like seriously or some at least some kind of in that vein that's the story you come up with but you don't come up with a story that makes you look like an idiot a coward that you have zero faith who follows that person who follows that group of guys but the only reason they would come up with a lie is to try to get people to follow them so that the message and the memory of Jesus would go on. And so since they documented how hard this was for them to believe, it actually makes it like easier for me to believe. It's interesting that they would do that. And I would, I would just ask you to consider that and to wrestle with that because... I don't think there's any other plausible explanation. Why could you come up with why the gospel writers would write themselves into the story? You know, John talking about John, Peter telling Mark what to write. His eye a story, Mark writes this about Peter. On and on, Matthew writes this about this life. Like, why would they write themselves in the story as lacking faith, completely confused, seeing the empty tomb and walking away, thinking, what has happened? Why would they do that? I think the only plausible reason why they would do that is if they were actually lacking a faith, deeply confused, and didn't know what was happening. But then, guys, there's this complete transformation. Like this utter transformation that you see in the, in the disciples. In fact, the, uh, let's see where I am here. like weeks later. And now this is really interesting because just weeks later, you see this complete transformation and it's not years later. And it's not 85 years later. Because 85 years, historians will say that's how long it takes for the, first, the generation of eyewitnesses to die off and the next generation to come in and start adding some stuff to the story and kind of spicing it up a little bit and kind of leaves, leaves, leaves a little bit of its truth out. But this was not, there wasn't time for this. It wasn't even years later. It was weeks later Jesus's disciples and his eye, and the eyewitnesses of his resurrection Mary Magdalene and her group of friends like all like, pour into the street of Jerusalem and Jerusalem is where Jesus had just been crucified again weeks earlier in that very spot they start they pour in the streets of Jerusalem and they start proclaiming this message and what's really interesting friends is that the message that they started teaching wasn't the things that Jesus taught like it wasn't like, hey, we've got, y'all need to listen to this because Jesus was his great teacher and he's our Savior. So you need to listen to his teaching so you know how to be right with God. It wasn't that. It wasn't like, here's the Sermon on the Mount. And they started teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Or here's here's the story of the prodigal son. You know, that's a great story. They, they weren't coming into the streets of Jerusalem teaching the things that Jesus taught. They came into the streets of Jerusalem and were saying what Jesus had done. Namely, that he had died and been buried And that he had risen again, and he is not, not that Jesus just lived, but he still lives. That was their message. And then they said, we're witnesses of this. This is the thing that, in fact, like, for example, Acts chapter 3, you see this incredible story where John and Peter, two of Jesus' disciples, right? Two of the guys that were hiding and scared and denying Jesus and cowards and all that stuff. These guys who just, weeks later, that's how they were reacting. You see this in Acts three, where they're walking through the streets to, to go to worship, and they they see a lame man that had been lame since birth, and they heal him. And people, all the crowds are like, "Hey, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus used to do." And like, they get this huge crowd around them. And Peter, Peter's like, "Man, anytime I got a crowd around me, I got something to say." And so he starts talking. And this is what he says in Acts chapter three, verse thirteen. He says, "The God of Abraham." The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, and this is Barabbas, uh, a murderer be released to you. Okay, this is important. Like, this is bold, right? And that he's saying this to the crowds. And this isn't like, you guys generally, like, y'all said for Jesus to be crucified, and y'all wanted Barabbas to be handed over to you so that Jesus would be Like, he's talking to the people that were in Pilate's court that were shouting, crucifying, crucifying. So he's not like, you generally people. Like, no, you people. Like, you were there. You were saying this. I'm talking to you. Y'all wanted Jesus crucified. And then he goes on and he says... You killed the author of life. Like, this is bold. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. We are witnesses that God raised Jesus from the dead. Like, they're saying, we saw it. Like, I'm not telling you what I believe in. I'm telling you what I saw with my own two eyes. Like, this is bold. Where does this transformation take place? What had took place in a period of a couple weeks where Peter's hiding out or comes to the empty tomb and scratching his head and is like, what's happened? And this, like this is the chance that this is gonna thing that's gonna get him arrested. This is the thing that would get him crucified, the thing that he really feared would happen if the if the religious authorities found out that he's a part of of the Jesus following and all that stuff, but he's now in public saying this kind of stuff. And so here's what happens they do get arrested. And the very people that arrested uh Jesus come up and arrest John and and Peter. Because they had caused this great disturbance. And so they take them and these authorities, they go to the religious authorities and they say, hey, we got John Peter, this is what they're saying. And they're like, let's put him on trial. We want to hear this. And so they put him in trial and they, the religious leaders, the very guys that orchestrated Jesus's crucifixion, that orchestrated that happening, those same guys come and stand before Peter and John and ask them to give an account for what they're saying. And here's what Peter says, Acts chapter 4 says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. And this is where he could have said, then know this. It was on accident. Like we just were walking by him and we said, We hope you get better, and all of a sudden he was standing up and all this stuff, and we didn't we didn't mean to do it. And so don't, don't, please, please don't kill us. Right? Don't crucify us. Like, we're we're, we're distancing distancing ourselves from Jesus. So please, like, don't, don't, but it's not, as you can see, it's not what he said. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. Again, incredible boldness, right? Right? Looking at the very guys that had the power to see that he would be killed for this, that John would be killed for this. He's like, I don't, I can't, like, I just can't keep this to myself. I'm not gonna lie. Like, Jesus is alive. And so we've got this boldness because we've seen, seen Jesus. Verse 13 shares how, how people respond to this. It says, when they or I'm sorry, verse 12, real quick. Peter continues, says, Salvation is found in no one else, no one else but the living. Jesus, for there is, uh, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then verse 13 shares how people reacted. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were stashed, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. sure the idea of someone rising from the dead is really hard to believe but like how do you how do you explain this radical transformation like what caused this radical transformation between peter and john and really the rest of Jesus' followers like where where does that where does that come from cuz they they did change like they changed in a in a really significant way and so like it's hard as it is to believe that these guys changed so dr- uh, i think sorry. And I just find it really hard that they changed this dramatically because they came up with a lie. You know, like this lie gave them the confidence. Like, yeah, someone stole Jesus' body and he's alive, you know, like we're just going to tell people that even though we had never seen him alive and he's, we know for sure he's still dead or we never saw him with our own eyes alive, like, but but let's just make up this lie so his memory and message would continue on. And like, what, how does that give them in confidence enough to stand before the very people who had Jesus crucified and say this kind of stuff to them, knowing that it could this lie could cause them to die? Where does how does that explain this, right? And then again, if they're going to lie, why make up a lie that makes them look so bad? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense either. Like. So as hard as it is to believe that Jesus rose again, it's it's so hard to believe that these guys would just have made this up. The thing that makes sense for this transformation is if they actually saw Jesus alive, as they say that they did. Like in John 20, we started with that passage the beginning of this morning. Like Later on in that passage, the afternoon of the first Easter, we're told that this very room where they were hiding out, Jesus shows up and he's there and they see him alive after he had been dead and they touch him and they speak to him and he speaks to them. And guys, it's that moment that caused this incredible transformation. And honestly, there's this transition that took place between them in their, like, in their lives, is a transition that I, I think God wants to see all of us make. I think he, this morning he would love to see you make this transforming step. And here's what the step was. The, the disciples, they went from thinking that, if you will. Like when it comes to Jesus, especially after he had died, they had a lot of thoughts about Jesus. Just like all of us, everybody has a lot of thoughts about Jesus. And in the most part, all of the thoughts are really positive, right? Because everyone loves Jesus. I mean, everyone wants a little piece of Jesus and you get Jesus on your side then that's a great thing, right? And so everyone wants a little piece of Jesus and they had all these thoughts about Jesus. They thought that he was this great teacher. This real, they thought that he was incredibly wise. They thought that he was incredible, incredibly loving. They thought he was a great example. They thought he was a prophet. They thought he was from God, but they also thought that he was dead on Easter morning. And guys, maybe that's where you are. You have all these thoughts about Jesus. But what happened with the disciples when they saw Jesus is they went from thinking that to trusting in. See, they crossed a line. They went from thinking that to to trusting in. And then for them... Jesus went from this example and this model and this good teacher and this all of these things that they thought that he was, and he he be, actually became their personal savior. They they trusted in him. And friends, they did because they saw him alive with his own eyes, with their own eyes. Friends. I want to ask you to consider taking that step as well. To go from thinking that to trusting in. And and a couple more reasons why, real quick, is just just to bullet them out for you. It's like, if you have any thinking that (laughs) thoughts about Jesus, you think that he's a good teacher, you think that he's a good person, you think that he's a great example, any of that kind of stuff. If you think that, if you have any thoughts about Jesus, really, it's worth noting that those thoughts were actually sourced from these guys who wrote these things. Like These guys are the source of what we know about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, these are the guys why we know anything about Jesus. Everything else that's been written about Jesus ultimately takes them as their source material. Now, people can pick and choose what they want to focus in on, but if you have any thoughts about Jesus, just acknowledge... Those thoughts ultimately were brought to you by these guys. And these guys also said Jesus rose from the dead. And it's hard to believe that they would make up a lie, that they would tell the truth about what Jesus' character was like, you know, this memory of Jesus, and make up or tell the truth about what Jesus taught, all these great teachings of Jesus, but make up a lie about what Jesus did that he rose from the dead. And so if you already believe what some of what they said about Jesus, my friends, I would just ask you, why just be a respecter of Jesus but stop at the empty tomb, start, stop short of the empty tomb? Why not just go all the way? You already believe some of their testimony of what they said about Jesus. The most important thing, the thing that they poured into the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming was that he rose from the dead. Why not believe that part too? That's one one more thing. The other thing I would just add is just the fact that we're here today on celebrating Easter is another reason why you can believe that this is true. Because if Jesus hadn't risen again, his message would not have lived on. Because Jesus' teachings, incredible teachings, but his teachings were different than every other religion that teaches you, here are the things you need to do or not do in order to be right with God. But Jesus' teachings, Jesus says, hey, the way to be right with God is through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, hey, you want to have life? Well, I'm the way to have life because I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't have this five steps to having life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And guys, that message doesn't continue on if Jesus is in the grave. The disciples aren't like, hey, yeah, yeah, I gotta believe in Jesus, gotta believe in Jesus, he's the resurrection and life. And people are like, really, where is he? Um, well, he, he's dead. He's like, hmm. I don't really buy that he's the resurrection, resurrection of life. If he said that like, <laughs> Jesus' message was centered not on the good things that we should do or, or the bad things we shouldn't do. Jesus' message was centered on him. And just the fact that 2,000 years later and half a world removed, we're still talking about him. It, it, it's the only thing that explains that is that he really did rise from the dead. And people saw that and that catapulted them into the streets of Jerusalem and around the Mediterranean Rim and into all of the nations because it really happened. And we don't have to believe it just because, you know, uh, uh, kind of unhelpful phrase sometimes, I don't be caveat here, but just because the Bible said so. Because the Bible is God's word. We believe that. But friends, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe the Bible is God's word, then look at it this way. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by all different people at different times over 1,600 years. And there's four letters plus a few others that were written by eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And so you, you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, not just because, you know, this mysterious thing says so, but because, hey, I wish, wish I just had an eyewitness that could tell me what he saw and what he experienced And I, We have that. We can believe because not only did Matthew and Peter and John and James <laughs> see Jesus alive after he died, but they documented it. And like, James, like, that's just crazy. James was Jesus' brother. Like, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Like, nothing, right? Like, bro, I don't really care what you do. You're never going to convince me that you're the son of God. Like, this is not going to happen. And so James, before... Jesus' resurrection really had nothing to do with Jesus. He never shows up in any of the gospel accounts. But then after the resurrection, James sees Jesus having died alive again, and he puts his faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Like, how do you explain that? James writes and documents, this is what I know. Jesus is my savior, and he's talking about his brother. It's craziness. Friends, would you, consider, would you consider taking a step today to go from thinking that, which all those thoughts are grounded in what these guys wrote, and taking the step that they took because Jesus really did rise again and cross that line to trusting in. If you do, here's what will happen. Jesus will go from this incredible example This incredible example that you will never live up to. That I'll never live up to. Jesus will go from this incredible giver of sacrificial love that just encourages us and inspires us and at the same time completely crushes us. Because we'll never be able to love like that. If you do, then Jesus will go from this incredible teacher whose teachings you'll never be able to fully follow. If you go from thinking that to trusting in, Jesus will go from all of those things to being your personal Savior, who laid down his life on your behalf because you will never measure up, because I will never measure up to his perfect standard. But out of his great love for us, died in our place, So that we could inherit his righteousness, his perfect record. So that in the eyes of God, we are acceptable and we do measure up in Christ. He becomes your savior. That's what happens when you trust in him. And friends, this is the part of the Easter message that I truly find hard to believe. The hardest to believe. That is that God would love us this much. It's so hard to believe that because it's just such good news. But friends, it's true and Easter proclaims that. He does love us this much. God really, really loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. For your sake, he who knew no sin became sin so you could become the righteousness of God. Jesus died for you to pay for your sins so that you could receive life and his righteousness and measure up in him. I want to give you an opportunity to take that step this day and to go from thinking that to trusting in and asking Christ to be your Savior. And let me just be real clear. Trusting in, it's pretty simple. It's simply the idea of faith. It's simply the idea of of placing your confidence in something, your weight in something. It's not this mysterious force or power thing you have to tap into. It's just a simple statement of... I. I can put my weight into that. It's like when you sit down in a chair, you trust that it's going to hold you up. That's, example of trust. And when it comes to trusting in Jesus, it's it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I I trust in your death and your resurrection alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm not going to trust in my good intentions. I'm not going to trust in my promises. I'm not going to trust in my good works. I'm not trusting in being a good person. I'm not trusting in that I was baptized when I was a baby. I'm not trusting in any of that stuff. I'm not trusting in anything else to make me right with you except for what Jesus did on the cross for me. That's where my trust is. And friends, if that describes where you're at today, I want to give you an opportunity to just voice that to God. And this prayer, this prayer is not what saves you. Don't trust in the prayer. It's just a way to voice what you're trusting in. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask that all of y'all pray along with me out loud. And you might say, well, Jacob, I don't believe this. If you don't believe this, then don't pray out loud. It's okay. No one's going to look around and, and, and judge you. But if you have believed in this, say this again and not to be saved. If you've already put your faith in Christ, you're not doing this so God will save you again. He's, that's already secure. But just, you're just voicing what you believe. So say it out loud. And if you, maybe for the first time, it's the first time you're ready to make this step, you go from thinking that to trusting in. Say this to God. Follow along with me let's pray. Father God. Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that He died for me. I'm putting my trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe He rose again. And because of that, I I am accepted by you. Thank you, Jesus saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. Friends, this is what our God has done for us. He loves us. We know that for sure because of the message of the cross and the empty tomb. He has risen. Let's worship him now.